You're listening to the RCF Podcast, and I'm here again this week with Alice, and we're continuing our discussion on false teachers. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to that because that's going to be really important for this discussion today. We covered several different passages last week that mention false teachers or false teaching, and so we want to continue with that this week. Yes, and I think one of the most descriptive passages in the New Testament about false teachers comes from the book of Jude. He describes in much of that tiny little book how to identify false teachers and urges us to contend for the faith. Starting in verse 4, he says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed. So they're in the church. That's one thing we need to recognize about false teachers. Like you said last week, that our focus isn't on that atheist professor out there that's wrecking people's faith. No, these are people in the church itself. That's where we need to focus on contending for the faith, because Jude says that they've crept in unnoticed. At your feast. Right. They're taking communion with you. Absolutely. Jude goes on to say that they are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's just one verse, but there's a lot there. It talks about how they pervert the grace of God into sensuality. Yeah, the NIV says that they pervert the grace of God into license for immorality. This is the all grace, live how you want, God will forgive you, or God doesn't care who you sleep with, that kind of theology. We've got to be careful of that. I've seen false teachers say to the person in sin, hey, you've done nothing wrong. You don't need to listen to those people over there, basically giving them license to sin. Definitely. And Jude says that they ultimately deny our only master and Lord. Here's another thing that we've got to be careful with. Would a false teacher go into a church and say, Jesus is not God? No, absolutely not. No, he's not going to do it like that. But he may say, that Jesus that you're talking about, that Jesus who condemns sexual immorality, that's not my Jesus. My Jesus wouldn't believe that or say that. So what just happened? The grace of God is distorted by making God out to be something that he's not. Perhaps making God out to be all grace and nothing else. Casting aside his holiness and wrath against sin. That false teacher may not have outright denied Jesus, but he's distorted Jesus and ends up preaching a different Jesus altogether. That's 2 Corinthians 11.4. And I've seen this kind of stuff happen right in front of my eyes. I've watched people be led astray by it because it sounds loving to so many people. Exactly. And a little later on in verse 8, Jude mentions that false teachers rely on their dreams. In today's language, that may sound like God told me or God showed me in a dream. They're claiming to have new revelation of some sort. But Revelation twenty-two eighteen warns us about adding or taking away from God's word, doesn't it? God isn't telling us today, hey, Matt, write this down. But false teachers try to come up with new revelation from God, and they'll often say that they got it from a dream or a vision. We aren't to rely on those things as Christians. We rely on Scripture. Right. False teachers always seem to be looking for some sort of sign. And we know what Scripture says about that. Matthew 24, 24 says that false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. 
the people of God. Right. So it's reiterating that when a false teacher is looking for a sign, that they're really rejecting authority. Certainly. They reject the authority of God's word. They don't want anyone telling them what to do or what to believe. So it's a lot easier to come up with some dream that supposedly gives you license to do something that you want to do. I think Jude 13 is also important to mention. He describes them as wandering stars. False teachers aren't a reliable guide for your life. I've seen over the years that false teachers are generally shifting in their theology and their beliefs. You may start going to a church where the pastor seems solid and he's preaching the Bible, and then years down the road you realize that he is subtly and cleverly shifted, believing something different than what he was teaching before. That's a concern, so watch out for people who are not stable in their theology. They may not even publicize it and say, hey, I've changed my position on this. They may just shift. And we've seen that. We've been a part of churches that changed theologically, and we didn't realize it until down the road because we were following a wandering star. Now, we all understand that we're all growing and learning. Right. Your theology should be being refined as you go along. Yeah, so this is where we have to be discerning, and we may even need to have a conversation with that leader to determine exactly what has shifted and the extent of it and how it matches up with what the Scripture says. Verse 19, I think, is also super important. Jude says, it is these, meaning these false teachers, it is these who cause divisions, Mm. worldly people devoid of the spirit. They cause divisions. That's a huge, huge red flag that you need to be aware of. But it gets tricky because usually it's the false teachers that are telling others that they are the ones causing division. This is really important because if a false teacher walked in and openly divided people, Christians wouldn't listen. But when they come in as wolves in sheep's clothing, what they're doing is causing division by straying from the scripture and then calling everyone else to unite. I had one so-called pastor claim that I had slandered him one time, and I was accused of being divisive. Why? Because I had called him out on serious sin issues, and he was unrepentant. But it's like you said, it's actually the ones who are straying away from the truth, who don't want to be held accountable, who are really causing the division. So we need to hold to the truth of God's word. And when we hold to the truth, the true believers are united in that. We have a foundation. And I think for that very reason, we need to be leery of movements that minimize false teaching in the name of unity. Because they're seeking to be unified, they won't call out false teaching or false teachers. So they're saying, for the benefit of the unity of Christ's body, and so the world sees a united Christian front, we're not going to call anyone a false teacher. We're not going to focus on that. But think about that. Who benefits from that kind of movement or that kind of attitude? The false teachers. The false teachers, absolutely. Because they can be considered one of the brothers or sisters in Christ. So they're basically welcoming in the wolves in the name of unity. Yeah, so you see the danger here. Definitely. So last year we did a couple of episodes on unity, Mm -hmm. which are episodes eight and nine, which I would definitely encourage our listeners to go back and listen to. But one thing that you mentioned in those podcasts was John chapter 17, Mm -hmm. Jesus's prayer for unity. And I think that some Christians will misuse that passage in order to promote unity at all costs. They seem to believe that a more inclusive unity will attract people to Christianity. For me, 
that almost makes me want nothing to do with Christianity. If I see a movement that doesn't actually stand for anything, or if you let the wolves in going unchecked, and I see the harm that they're doing to people, preying on people, which is exactly what Jude talks about, why would I want to be a part of that? That's not unifying. It seems more like compromise to me, just to get more people on our side rather than standing firm in the truth. If we move the line to include more people, then yeah, you may have a bigger tent. And sure, we'd love to see more people become Christians, but we'd love to see more people who we could actually be united with, not at the expense of truth. I want a faith community who will contend for the faith, not compromise it. And one of the dangers of that is that you're affirming people as Christians when in fact they aren't Christians because they're holding to errant teachings. Some people quote Philippians 1 to say that as long as those people are preaching Jesus, we can praise God, even if there are some erroneous teachings. But I would point out that in Philippians 1, Paul was not talking about false teachings. Remember, context matters. Paul was talking about the motivations of the teachers. He wasn't overlooking false teaching and false doctrine and just praising God that at least Jesus was being preached. No, he was talking about someone who preaches the true gospel, but perhaps they do it loving the recognition or being competitive for a platform. Even there, Paul didn't excuse those sinful motives. But he was focusing on the fact that the gospel was being spread despite such people. He was saying, hey, God's even using this to accomplish his purposes. And we know that Paul wasn't talking about false teaching there in Philippians 1 because in his letter to the Galatians, he says in very strong language that those who were distorting the gospel shouldn't be tolerated. They should be cut off. So looking back at the verse in Jude, I noticed that he says that they're devoid of the spirit. So these false teachers aren't even true believers, even though they may claim to be. They may even believe that they are. But by straying from Scripture or downplaying Scripture or living contrary to Scripture, they're proving that they're not true Christians. We don't do them or anyone else a favor by unifying with them. Like we said, there are so many passages in the New Testament that we could mention. We're just barely scratching the surface here to give you a grasp of what we're talking about when we say that someone is a false teacher. We obviously don't have time to cover them all, but I just want to run through a few others really quickly that I think are important to mention in this context. 3 John mentions false teaching, and in that little book... John specifically points out a guy named Diotrephes, and the characteristic that he gives is really important. He says, Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first. I think that gives us a general characteristic of false teachers, is that they tend towards self-centeredness and self-promotion. You'll see them, they're the types that want to have the billboard, the social media post, and so on, with a big picture of pastor so-and-so. Or even in their sermons, their examples and stories are almost all about themselves and what they did and how great it was. How they were the hero of the story. Exactly. So watch out for that. Also, Romans 16 is very important. Verse 17 and 18 says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. So he tells us what to do right there. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. There's a couple of things right there that we want to note. 
One, they serve their own appetites. Again, they're really in it for themselves and what the ministry can do for them or profit them or how they can use the people of God for their own purposes. Watch out for that. The true servant of Christ is a servant to God's people as well. You'll see that the false teacher is really just trying to get you to serve them or to serve their church. It's all about him or perhaps her in some cases. And then, secondly, Paul mentions the smooth talk and the flattery in verse 18. We need to recognize that false teachers wouldn't be able to gain a following if they were mean people. Maybe if they were super controlling or something like that, they might. But false teachers generally appear to be very nice. That smooth talking tends to deceive many people. That's why we are warned in verse 17 to watch out. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 7, beware of them. That's why 2 John says, watch yourself. That's why 1 Timothy 6 says, guard yourselves. That's why 1 John says, to test them. Their smooth talk, their flattery, it's likely to be what you want to hear. And that's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. So be careful of a church leader or a ministry leader who's telling you what you want to hear. It feels good to have a pastor say, here come those wonderful people, or to walk away from a sermon feeling good about ourselves. Be careful of that because that can tend to cause us to let our guard down and then be led astray. Yeah, everyone likes attention. Everyone likes to feel important and cared Mm -hmm. for. And at least on the front end, that's what false teachers are really good at. Until you confront them on their false teaching or their bad behavior, and then you may not receive the flattery anymore. And that's not to say that you should be wary of anyone who's friendly. True Christians should be friendly. But don't be deceived by somebody's friendliness. Don't let that cause you to overlook bad doctrine or ungodliness just because the pastor is so nice. So the next logical question is, how do we spot false teachers or false teaching? Obviously, all the things that we've talked about from scripture are things to look for, but how can we make sure that we don't get led astray? First and foremost, always have your Bible open when listening to a sermon or a teaching. Many false teachers are very persuasive, and they themselves may even be self-deceived, believing that they are teaching what is right. So check everything that they say with scripture, go home and read it in the context of the larger portion of scripture, maybe the whole chapter or even the whole book. False teachers are notorious for taking things out of context. Yeah, if a pastor says, hey congregation, are you ready to receive today? I'm not going to just take in whatever they say. I'm going to listen with discernment. I've heard pastors take passages out of context and use it for their own purposes, even preach sermons that are downright manipulative. If I didn't know the scriptures, then I could be deceived into thinking this is what the passage means. I think of a sermon that I heard a while back from, I think it was Acts chapter 4, and the pastor used that passage to call the congregation to give more money to the church. You didn't walk away understanding the passage, just, hey, we need more money. And that's something that turns a lot of people off, and understandably so, when it's not the context of what the Bible is saying. I heard another pastor this year use Luke chapter 5, what Jesus said about old and new wineskins, and the pastor used that to tell the congregation that they needed to be more flexible, more open to changing. Well, if you don't know the context of that passage and don't understand that Jesus was talking about the old and new covenant— then you walk away from that sermon thinking you just need to be more open to change. And if that kind of stuff goes unchecked, what kind of change is this pastor leading you into? Remember those wandering stars? 
So knowing the truth and studying it is really the key. It's almost cliche. I've heard it so many times when someone asks, how do you know a counterfeit dollar bill versus a real one? By knowing what the real one looks like. If you don't know the real thing, how will you spot the counterfeit? I recently heard someone expound on this illustration. And they said, yes, it is true that studying the real thing is the most important part, but even those who are trained to spot counterfeits have to keep up with how people are forging currency. They keep up with the trends of what is false so that it's more easily recognizable. For the Christian, being aware of some current false teaching allows us to spot it more quickly. You have to know the truth, but it's also important to know how it's being manipulated. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Students, you are training yourself for a career through your education here in college. But don't ignore the most important training, the spiritual training. Use this time to grow in the knowledge of God through His Word so that you don't fall into myths and false teaching. Secondly, we need to recognize that there are false teachers everywhere. And I think this is a mistake that many Christians make, thinking that it's super rare, that it's not in my denomination, or it's not in my church, or not in my town. No, the wolves are there, and they don't even have to be pastors. They can just be leaders in the church. They can be Sunday school teachers. They can be small group leaders. Or they can be campus ministers. Really, anybody within Christianity that's in a teaching or authoritative role. And with the media that we have today, it makes false teaching widely accessible. Just a click on social media or YouTube or podcasts. So be alert. Be discerning. We do that by studying the scriptures and by checking everything by the scriptures. And recognize your own responsibility in this. We can't just say, hey, it's not my place to confront false teaching or to worry about this kind of stuff. Again, in the New Testament epistles, the writers didn't have a live and let live attitude toward false teaching. They knew it must be dealt with. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. Notice what Paul is saying there. He puts a responsibility on the people of the church. Why do false teachers thrive? Because people in the church welcome it. Look, if you want something that feels good, that tells you what you want to hear, you're going to get false teaching. But if you want the truth, if you seek out those teachers who will stick to the Bible and aren't afraid to speak the truth and say hard things, you're less likely to end up with a false teacher in leadership. And a third thing that we need to point out as we're looking for practical application is that we need to check our own heart and life. As we read through the scriptures, and maybe you're reading Jude or 2 Peter or Matthew 7 or Romans 16 or any of those passages that deal with false teachers and false teachings, when we come across a passage like that and we read these warnings, that should cause us to pause and want to make sure that we are not walking in those steps, that we are not emulating the enemy, and that we are not being self-deceived into being a false teacher. We don't want to lead others astray. So when it talks about the liars whose consciences are seared, check your own heart and life. Is your life characterized by lying? If it is, look who you're following. Look at what direction you're going. As Christians, we want to make sure that our character and our life emulates our Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So we're not encouraging you here to start labeling everyone a heretic and a false teacher. When necessary, call them out. 
warn others, name names, that's biblical, but make sure that you're standing on the foundation of Scripture and that you're spending a lot of time in prayer to be sure and that your motivation is not out of your own fleshly desires, but to truly contend for the faith so that people aren't harmed by a distorted gospel. One reason that we're here on this campus, I believe, is to push back against the wolves. We're here to proclaim the gospel so that people will know and follow Jesus. That's priority number one. But in doing so, we must contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, as Jude 3 talks about. That means standing up against wolves in sheep's clothing. I've had to do that before. It's definitely not something that you want to do, and it will cost you. I could tell you some stories. It will probably cost you some friends. People may not like you because of it. They may wish that you just kept silent. But you can be confident that you're doing what's right and necessary. Students, we want you to understand, and really for anyone who's listening, understand the importance of knowing the truth and standing firm in the Lord. Hopefully this helps you just to give you another reason why you want to get up and read and study your Bible in the morning, why you want to go to Bible study and dive deep into scripture so that you'll be able to identify what is true and you'll know when someone's trying to deceive you or manipulate you. So I hope this encourages you in that way. And again, I would challenge you to read through the entire New Testament and look for any time that a false teacher, false prophet, or false teaching is mentioned or warned against. Make note of that and what is being communicated there. Right. We don't want you to fall into deception. We don't want you to get hurt by false teachers. Be on guard and be thankful when you have a solid Christian community around you of people who are committed to following the Lord according to his word and pleasing him. And on that note, we're out of time. So let me leave you with this verse to give you hope. If all of this worries you and makes you afraid that you will be deceived, Look at what Jude tells us in Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So friends, look to Jesus, cling to him, trust him, and he will keep you on the right path. Thank you for listening to the RCF podcast. If you would like more information on Rody Christian Fellowship, visit rodyfellowship.com or our Instagram page at rodyfellowship.